0: Jesus healed blind people. Did it often. And why is that? Because it says in Isaiah 35:5 as well as Psalms 146:8 one of the things the Messiah will do is open the eyes of the blind. So this is one of the common miracles that Jesus did which nobody else can do and even today in all of our technology we still can't do. There's different eye operations, but if you're born blind from birth where there's a problem with the optic nerve, nothing's going to fix that. Jesus said, what do you want me to do for you to another man? so that I would see. We remember Jesus healed him. This time, Jesus uses mud. Why? I think there's a lot of reasons why. First of all, God takes something ordinary, and makes it extraordinary dirt is pretty common friends spit is pfft. and he takes something ordinary or what others would view as bad and makes it something unbelievably good remember that if you get these are principles that you can apply to your business you can apply these to every aspect of your life something ordinary becomes extraordinary Another thing we find in this particular healing, the healing was not immediate. Sometimes Jesus would just look at the man and say, receive your sight, and he could see. Here we find that Jesus made clay, put it on his eyes, and then in verse 7, he said, and go wash in the pool of Siloam, which translated means sent. So he went, washed, and came back seeing. It wasn't immediate. Now, friends, I love the Bible in Jesus' immediate answers. I love that. I've had so many people say, I prayed and nothing happened. Really? How do you know nothing happened? Well, I didn't see the immediate result of what I wanted. We're going back to, well, yes, sometimes Jesus does do immediate. But sometimes it's a process that God does. He made clay, put it on his eyes. The man evidently probably suffered some type of reproach and probably Jesus and the dust. What kind of a goofball do you have making wiping mud on people's eyes and oh, Yeah, I can just hear the, the the tabloids, the gossip. And the internet went wild. That was all over Twitter. But really, when you stop to look at it, this was something that was a process. Now, friends, sometimes God, when we pray, immediately answers. Sometimes when we pray and thank the Lord for this, God says, no, you don't love me. Isn't that our reaction? My hand's up. God has something better. If daddy ever says no to you, he has something better. Or he has something that will meet the need in a more proper way. Always remember, as you get older in the Lord, as you grow in Christ, you will learn to appreciate when Jesus says no as much as when he says yes. God's hand of protection is in no. You don't know what's in that. I'm sure when the fish wants to bite the worm and doesn't see the hook, and that hook is, that worm is pulled away, and we think, oh, he doesn't let me. No, you didn't see the hook in it. There's a hook sometimes in what we see, what we think is good. So, a process. Sometimes God says, Wait. Or God, when we ask Him, and this friends, this is what happens when we pray. When we pray, the Bible tells us Satan is the prince of the power of this world, it's his domain. The Bible says he's the God of this world. So, what business does a heavenly Father have with dealing in this earth that Satan is the God of? It's a problem, isn't it? Your insurance policies say, and any other acts of God. Well, God's not doing that. God might allow it, but the Bible says Satan is the one that does that. Read the book of Job. So what's happening? Well, Satan's the God of this world. But when you pray, you're a human on this earth, part of this earth. But when you become born again, your residency moves to heaven and you're a child of God. So we then say, okay, God, I ask you now to come in a world that's been given to Satan, back in the garden, and I ask you now to intervene and do something. And God goes, the process can begin. I have full legal authority to intervene in this individual's life because I was requested. Now, what does the Bible say? Behold, I stand at the door and knock. God doesn't say, behold, I kick the door off of its hinges. Hope you like it. He waits till we ask. When we ask, then we give permission to God. You say, why is that? God's a legal God. And the fact, the more you read about God, why do you think you have the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, all about legalese concerning who God is? From the Ten Commandments to to how to keep the Sabbath to what is proper diet, what isn't. Why do you think you have all that up there? God's a legal God. Why do you think that since God knows the beginning to the end, God lives in all times presence, we already talked about that. Why is it that God lives in all times present, that since God ultimately knows, as the Bible says, those that are predestinated, those that are going to make it to heaven, those aren't. Since God knows the beginning from the end, who's going to make it and who doesn't, why do we have to go through this zoo we call living? God's a legal God. God says, okay, everybody lives their life. You make your choices. Now, just because God knows the decisions that you and me, the world will make, doesn't mean we didn't have the freedom to make those decisions. This is where sometimes in the idea of predestination that God was this, I'm going to put people on earth to send them to hell. Sick. Theology. God knows who will choose him and who doesn't, but because God's a legal God. Everybody lives their life. Everybody makes the decisions they make. Just because God's got the videotape of your life already recorded doesn't mean that I, you, me, everybody on the earth doesn't have the right to make the decisions that we make. Now, people say no one can come unless the Father draws them. That's right. That's why I believe prayer is important. That's why I believe the Bible says, for God so loved the world. It doesn't say the predestinated ones are only the ones going to heaven. He says the world. That means anyone, whosoever would believe in him, would not perish, have everlasting life. That's everybody. So, he said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam. This is interesting to me. This is is really important because... Sometimes God does... A friend come to me and said one time, how much does God do and how much do you do? It's a good question. We look in the case of Elijah out in the wilderness. The birds come and dropped off his, the first drive-up window ever recorded. He just dropped his food off right there. One day the bird stopped bringing the food. He thought, well, it's time to move on. He did. How much do you do? How much does God do? In the case of Noah and the ark... Noah did a lot. Took him over 100 years to build the boat. Whatever kind of wood it was, called gopher wood, I don't know what kind of gopher wood, I don't know what it was. But what's really weird in that little bitty thing where it talks about it took him 100 years to build the ark, tells us some really weird things. First of all, before the flood, the rate of decay was different than it was after the flood. Boy, that'll mess your carbon-14 dating up, won't it? Because if you started building a boat, by the time you got one end of it done at a hundred years, by the time you got the other end done, it would be rotted off. So something was different before the flood. Now we won't get into that. We're not talking about the flood, but the point is God's time is different than ours. How much do you do? How much does God do? Sometimes Jesus said, receive your sight, the man's eyes. Here he was told to go wash in the pool. Sometimes God's miracles, are you ready for this, saints? Require our participation. But I just want a God where I just sit back in my chair and let God do it all. I shared this story before, but went over and stopped by this guy I know. He's a believer. And uh, he said, well, why don't you come on back in the backyard? Mike, sit down, we'll have some iced tea. And I said, that sounds good. So I went in the backyard with him. He had some of those reclining lawn chairs, and I laid down. When I laid down, I couldn't see him because the grass had grown up so high. He might have had Aborigines living out in the back back there. I don't know, but it was that high. And I said, bro, you need to cut your lawn. Honest to God, this is what he said. "Mac, God's going to mow my lawn. And I said, God ain't doing a very good job. <laughs> The point is, is that sometimes we will offer excuses rather than obedience. We'll offer excuses rather than allowing God to interject us into the situation so that God can do it. Can God do it without us? Yes. Why then does God tell me to go wash in the pool of Siloam or whatever it might be in your life? So that you can see God work and you're a participator with him. The Bible talks about we're co-laborers with Christ. How important is that? Well, he came back seeing. Therefore, the neighbors and those who previously had seen that he was blind said, Is this not he who sat and begged? Then others said, No, it's like him. Uh," And finally, the man that was blind and was healed said, I am he. Therefore, they said to him, How were your eyes opened? And he said, a man called Jesus. Now this friends is interesting because the miracle was not a direct result of his meticulous obedience and dedication and all the things that oftentimes we think merit the hand of God. In other words, well, there's a song that we used to sing in church and it was, it was improper. It was, it was wrong. You know, I got so close, I got so close, I got so close, he filled me up with the Holy Ghost. No, 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 that's wrong theology. We don't work to get filled with the Holy Spirit. Jesus said you asked to get filled with the Holy Spirit. Here, he said a man named Jesus. He didn't even really know who he was. notice this. If you go back, he said, and as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from his birth. It doesn't say the man called out to him. It says Jesus saw him and went to him and began his miracle. And so they said to him, how were your eyes open? He says, a man called Jesus made clay, anointed my eyes, and said to me, go wash in the pool of Siloam. And I washed. I went and washed and received sight. By the way, notice there's an important word there. He went. He went. Feet to faith. Got to do that. And it says, and received my sight. Then they said to him, where is he? He goes, I don't know. And they brought him who was formerly blind to the Pharisees. Now it was the Sabbath when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. Uh Uh-oh, he worked on the Sabbath. Jesus is making bricks. Serious. And so the Pharisees also asked him again saying how he had received his sight. And he said to them, he put clay on my eyes, wash and I see. Therefore, some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God because he does not keep the Sabbath, being that he worked on the Sabbath, that he made clay on the Sabbath, put it on his eyes and told him to go wash. He told him to go do something on the Sabbath. Others said, how can a man who's a sinner do such signs? And there was division among them. Friends, there always will be when you're in the body of Christ. Some will accept what Jesus does and some will fight it clear to the end. Now, we have two really interesting illustrations in the Old Testament. You have Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Repeated signs, one right after another, till finally the death angel came through and those that did not have the blood on their doors, the death angel passed over those houses but went into the houses of the Egyptians because they didn't believe. Pharaoh's heart was hard. We have another king of the world named Nebuchadnezzar. He, with a similar attitude as Pharaoh, that there is a God and I am him. That's what they thought. God began to deal with Nebuchadnezzar just as he dealt with Pharaoh. But finally, Nebuchadnezzar cried uncle, gave in, and we find something that sounds almost like King David written in his praise to God when he returned back. By the way, what happened to him? The firstborn didn't die of everybody in his land. He lost his mind for seven seasons. Now, we don't know if that was seven seasons, or or seven cycles, or whether it was seven years. Whatever it was, it says his fingernails grew long. And he was out rooting in the garden, like a rototiller. Now, normally, they would just kill a king that went nuts. It's an embarrassment. Not a bad idea. But anyway, not a when leaders go crazy dignitaries would come and say, where's your, your, oh, he's out gardening. And the Bible says that he was outside, his back would get wet with the dew. I mean, he was nuts. God's hand was upon him. God was dealing with him. No doubt at the prayers of Daniel. And so we remember that his sanity returned to him and he says, God, I know there's only one now. He got it. Friends, There are in that group of Pharisees, there are going to be those that get it and those that don't. In your group of friends, there's going to be those that get it and those that don't. Some are going to say, wow, God's good to you. Others are going to say, pure luck. Be careful. And don't ever think you have luck. You have, if you're a Christian, you have an anointing of God on your life. And God is not done with you till he's done with you. Again, going back, as he said. I must work the works of him, verse 4, who sent me while it is day. We all have a job to do for God. If you're not born again, you'll never know what it is. You'll waste your life. Out spinning your wheels. When God gives us his purpose, I believe you're invincible until God is done with us. And so, how can a sinner do such thing? There was division among them. And then they said to the blind man again, what do you say about him because he opened your eyes? And he said, he's a prophet. But the Jews did not believe concerning him that he had been blind and received his sight until they called the parents of him who received his sight. And they said to him, saying, is this your son who you say was born blind? How then now does he see? His parents answered him and said, we know that this is our son, and that he was born blind. By by what means he sees, we do not know. Or who opened his eyes, we do not know. He is of age, ask him, he'll speak for himself. Now his parents said these things because they feared the Jews, for the Jews said already that if anyone confessed that Jesus was Christ, he would be put out of the synagogue. Therefore his parents said, he's of age, ask him. So again, they called the man who was blind and said to him, give glory to God. We know this man is a sinner, speaking of Jesus. And he answered, he said, Whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. The one thing I do know, I was blind, and now I see. Friends, that's the bottom line. Don't you know others see what God is doing in your life? Don't you know some are going, God's good in that, guys? Others are going, oh, kill him. You're a living example of the power of God. Never forget who you are in Christ. This morning, we have communion. And um, this is for believers. Because what it is, is that first of all, as we partake of communion, Jesus holds up the cup in the upper room with his closest, dearest disciples and friends. And he said, this is my blood, which was shed for you. You're worth something to God, All week long, the devil will tell you you're worthless. All week long, the devil will tell you, go jump off the bridge. All week long, the world will say you're nothing unless you drive this car or buy our product. You're nothing. Jesus said, you are valuable. Jesus shed his blood for you. The second thing we find, Peter says, by his stripes we're healed. Now, we need healing, friends. We need healing. I need healing. I need healing every day. Well, Mike, I feel fine. I don't have a cold coming on or nothing. Not talking about that. Yes, I do believe it extends to that. But God does something far greater. He heals us inside. Only God can do this. We've been over this before. The religions of the world will offer some kind of antidote or, or some kind of thing that you do to have your sins forgiven. Well, go burn so many incense sticks. Go say and repeat so many prayers over and over again. Repeat the mantra over and over again. Climb to the top of Everest. They'll always say there's something you got to do, but none of them offer any repair in our life. Yeah, you can be forgiven of your sins. Too bad about the scar. Jesus by his stripes we're healed. Repairs what the world, what we've done to ourselves. God loves us. God is the fixer of all things. This morning, if you're born again, your ability to love or to be loved, or maybe the way you think, or, or maybe you feel that like God doesn't love you, or, or something along that line, as we read earlier about this man's affliction of being blind, if there's something lacking in your life, I just want you to just give it to God this morning. Say, Lord, here, fix it. We have a God that fixes. The second thing is you're valuable. We have a God who heals and a God who forgives. If you're not born again here, we're going to pray right now. You can ask Christ in your life and let him come in your life and you give him the permission to work in you. God's a gentleman. He won't kick the door off your hinges of your heart. He will wait for you to open. You know, it's interesting. In that chapter 3 of Revelation, I've heard it said sometimes, well, you can't really use that in an altar call. Really? Really? Where do you get that? Well, he's addressing the church. Yeah, that's true. But in that particular place, Jesus said... Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man will open the door, I'll come in, sup with him, he with me. Anyone. It doesn't say, behold, I stand at the door and knock, and you church members, if you'll open the door, it doesn't say that. It says, if any man, the word any in the Greek there means anybody. So that means everyone. So you just open, say, okay, Lord, come in." And God comes in and begins his work. If you need to get right with God this morning, let's pray. And then we'll have communion, and then we'll have dinner. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. And I invite you into my life today. I believe that you died on the cross for me. And Jesus, I ask you to come in my life and forgive me of all the things I've done wrong. And so now, live in me. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Write my name in your book of life that I can spend eternity with you. Heal me and fix me, restore me. I commit my life into your hands in Jesus' name. Thank you for joining us on It's Time, as Pastor Mike teaches verse-by-verse verse through the Bible. If you've missed a program or would like to catch up, you can do so by getting it from the It's Time podcast in the iTunes Store, or by downloading it from the It's Time website at theriverchristianfellowship.com slash Time. On behalf of Pastor Mike and the rest of us here at the River Christian Fellowship, thank you for listening, and tune in next time for It's Time.